Aloha from Maui, Hawaii, and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. My name is Michael Denner, and I'm your host this week and every week for the Mystery School presentation. We're going to make a bit of a change. You know, we've done this Mystery School for a little over three years now. We have about 160 classes in the archive that will always be there. Most of them are, I guess what you would say, lectures, speeches maybe, a presentation of some sort. And while I've tried to engage and done my best to engage participants and listeners to the live webinar and make it available by podcast, I really haven't taught the way I used to teach in Los Angeles, taught a book per se, or taking a particular concept and over several weeks in a row really drill down. Every week, if you check the archive at theagelesswisdom.com, click on enter and then on webinars, you look at that archive of all those 160-some programs, you'll see every topic is different. There's a couple of occasions where I would do two programs in a row that tied together. I think there's even two occasions where I did six programs. A training I used to do called Fly, Feeling Like Yourself. In fact, I still do that for individuals who contact me in my telephone counseling here from Maui. But I'm going to begin to do more of that. And we're going to change the nature of the Mystery School in that regard. And this is the first, starting today, we're going to do seven parts on a mind science classic, a little more than 100 years old. It was published actually in 1908 in Chicago. It's called the Kabbalion, that's spelled with a K, K-Y-B-A-L-I-O-N, Kabbalion. Not to be confused with Kabbalah, spelled anyway. <laughs> Kabbalah can be spelled with a Q or a K or a C. You often see it every which way. But Kabbalah is a book of ancient Jewish mysticism. The Kabbalion is Hermetic and Greek. And the authorship of the Kabbalion, even though it's a mind science classic, a new thought classic, really out of the 19th century. But as I say, it was right after the turn of the century. It was right after the big parliament of religion in Chicago around the turn of the century where Vivekananda showed up and blew everybody away. Uh, nobody in the West or the United States or the Midwest, certainly Chicago, really knew anything about yoga, Buddhism, Hinduism, Brahmanism, or any of the Eastern philosophies. And Vivekananda was a big hit. I think that was 1903 or thereabouts in Chicago, Illinois. Shortly after that, in the same city, this book comes out, written anonymously by the three initiates. Well, first of all, who were the three initiates? Many people believe that one of the three, if there were in fact three, it may be a not-so-veiled reference to three as a very magical and spiritual number, primarily because a three, like a seven, 
similarly, have a middle. A three has a center point between one and three. There's a two. Or you could actually think of three as coming between one and two. That's often the way it's portrayed. It's like the divine trinity. It's like the lower correspondence of the divine trinity in man, which is the mental, emotional, and the third element, or the second element, depending on how you count it, would be physical. So mental, emotional, and physical. Uh, Mind, soul, emotional nature in the middle, and then body. So it could just be a veiled reference or a not-so-veiled reference to the Trinity. But many people believe Paul Foster Case, who was the founder of Builders of the Adidum, or Builders of the Adidum in Los Angeles, uh, he was also a member of the Order of the Golden Dawn with Aleister Crowley and Israel Regardi, the Unfortune, and Evelyn Underhill. Many people believe he wrote that, or he may have been one of the three initiates. However, as I put in the newsletter this past week, a more plausible explanation is that the very prolific New Thought writer William W. Atkinson, William Walker, Atkinson is probably either the fellow that wrote it or one of the three people. He may have got together with Case and one other. But many scholars who have read Atkinson's books from that period say that the Kabbalion reads just the way Atkinson would write. So for those of you that are serious about your study of mind science, especially from the the turn of the 19th into the 20th century, a time that was very big for spirituality, spiritism, and spiritualists. And uh, it was very popular. Madame Blavatsky had had a major impact in the United States and Europe with the founding of her Theosophical Society. And books that she wrote like The Secret Doctrine or Isis Unveiled. And this was never more popular than what we now call self-help or personal development. And, and But Oprah Winfrey has made so popular this idea of really being the best person you can be and demanding and creating for yourself a peak life experience, learning to be your own guru, to drop your pain, to heal yourself, to get fixed and enjoy the life of prosperity and abundance, but moreover of peace and contentment and a sense of purpose and mission. I know you have that or you wouldn't be listening to this program either live or by podcast today, but it's tragic when you look around and see people that are running so fast and working so hard and they have no idea why. They get married and they have kids and buy a house and have no idea why, why they're doing what they're doing, much less how to be the best they can be at doing it. So the Kabbalion is broken into seven key principles, and in the next seven weeks, we're going to talk about week by week each one of the key principles. Today, obviously, will be lesson one. And that's the principle of mentalism. Whoever wrote this, Paul Foster Case, William Walker Atkinson, or somebody else, at this point, 
doesn't much matter uh, unless you want to follow up and read their other stuff. Both of them, as I said, very prolific, very profound authors, as are many of the others I mentioned from that period. So let's wade into it. Let's talk about lesson number one in the Kabbalion, the first of the seven key hermetic and Greek principles, really ancient concepts from the beginning of time. This is as far back as you can go in the mystery school traditions of Pythagoras, for example, and uh, Plato and, and Socrates, and uh, at the same time, of course, the, in the East, the the Buddhists and the, the Hindus and the Taoists, and they had their mystery schools as well. Teaching, it turns out, many of the same principles, whatever the, we have Sufism as well in here. They had their mystery schools. The principles are the same, and that's there, there certainly are some important distinctions and differences, but to look at the golden thread that runs through the mystery traditions, the ancient teachings of people that never got together, never really knew each other. Shamanism is another area. Besides the Judeo-Christian, the Egyptian, the Tibetan, it's just been a fascinating field for me as a journalist to move from doing daily news and reporting on politics and crime and justice and government and international tension and warfare to the potential that we have. As a journalist, I have to tell you, it's changed my life over the years and I've, I've never been one to seek a single path. I always look to study everything that I can comparatively about philosophy and, and religion. And that's what I've tried to do in my radio programs, in these webinars and classes, and in the private work I do on the telephone with individuals also, to pull on all of these traditions and to point out the golden thread, the common links, the understanding, like Love, not as an emotion, but beyond that, love as a level of consciousness. What does that mean? What does it mean to to love your enemies? 2,000 years after Christ, with hundreds of millions of Christians on the earth, very few have any idea what it means to love your enemy, and most don't really believe it. So we begin today with mentalism. And the idea that all is mind, and I'm going to actually read a paragraph for you from the book, and then we'll talk about it. Then we'll take your questions and your comments by text and by telephone, and you can do that at any time. You can use the text box on the website in front of you, if you're with us live, of course. Then hit submit, enter your name and your city, hit submit. Or if you're on the telephone and you know you have a question or a comment at any time, hit star two. And after I finish this initial presentation in a few minutes, we'll go to those questions and comments. And we'll save some room at the end for a guided imagery exercise as well. And then in coming weeks, I want to tell you more about how we're going to change the mystery school and do more of this, not just individual presentations or lectures week after week 
but really bear down on concepts and spend two, three, four weeks, eight or ten weeks going into a particular subject, maybe even studying a given book and providing more for you. This is in response to a lot of requests for this. And again, the archive will always be there and it'll always be free. You've got 160-some programs to go back and listen to at theagelesswisdom.com, as well as a bunch of other articles under a little section, what we used to call them wisdom nuggets. Now I think it just says articles. Well, poke around in there and check it out. Before we get farther into this or further into it, I want to play for you, as I have been doing for the last couple of months, a little section, a little soundbite from our premium audio program, Finding Yourself in Paradise, which we provide at our sister website, FocusedPassion.com. This series I do, this is studio quality, with my business partner in this personal development field, Steve Snyder, and uh, I'd like to give you a little taste of what's available over there when you subscribe for 99 cents. These programs are $4.95. If you subscribe for three ninety-six a month, you're paying less than a dollar for these programs, and a lot of really smart people are doing that, so I want to give you a little taste of what that sounds like. This past week, the program we've done is called Problem Solving, and uh, it's just a little two or three minute soundbite for Steve and then myself from Finding Yourself in Paradise, a little taste of last week's program. What do I want? Because you don't know what you want. I mean, that's where you got to start. And if you just ask yourself, what do I want? Well, there's a lot of answers to that question. I mean, there may be a million answers to that question. It's really an overwhelming, disturbing question. There's so many things I want. My mind goes into like a frenzy with what do I want. But it's really the wrong question. It's just, it's way too nebulous. It's like saying, what's green like? You know, it's like too many answers to that. The right question to ask is really a much, much more specific, like, bullseye kind of question. It's like right at the target kind of question. And that is really, what do I want the most? Of anything possible, what do I want the most? That's what you have to ask. It may not be that that's what you get in life, you know, but the journey toward that is your best journey. I mean, that's what you want to figure out. What's the journey I want to take? Well, the journey toward what I want the most is the best journey. However far I get, that's the best. Because I'll get a whole lot of other stuff, good stuff on the way toward what I want the most, whether I ever get there or not. And if I'm not afraid of disappointment, and that's a big jump, but if you're not afraid of disappointment, then why would you aim for anything less than the bullseye? So it starts with this, what do I want the most in my marriage? What do I want the most in my career? What do I want the most? What do I want the most is the question you need to ask the most. It gives you a much more pinpoint target. It gives you something to aim at uh, that is really much more wonderful. And the greater the target in your imagination, the greater it feels to attain that target in your imagination, the more motivation that creates to get you off of your duff and moving toward getting what you want. The hardest part is that first step, or as one of your great teachers said, the toughest part about moving a refrigerator is getting it unstuck from the floor. So that's why the program that we're going to do next week is so important and goes hand in hand with this, because if we're not solving our emotional problems, the really personal, subjective stuff, if we don't know how to heal that hurt, then we're going to lack the passion that really drives the solution. 
that really helps you to decide not just that you want it, but to give it a priority, to take a look at your values and decide why do I want it? What's what do I want the most? What do I what do I really care about here? You see, if you've healed the hurt, whether from a few days ago or early childhood, once you address those problems and you can be your own guru and your own therapist in this way. We'll talk about it next week. Now you got all the enthusiasm, there's no holding back, no restriction. You're ready to rock and roll, you're excited, you feel good, I deserve it, right? Those issues about, oh, I couldn't handle it. I don't know if I deserve it. Second-guessing the universe, right? All of that stuff is lost because you healed the hurt. So now you can put the passion in action here. Put the passion in action. <laughs> so there you have just a little taste of the Finding Yourself in Paradise program from last week, Problem Solving, next week for our subscribers we're going to, as we indicated, do a follow-on program about solving, if you will, emotional problems. So mental problem solving and emotional healing. Solve the problem, heal the heart. That's basically what we do with these programs at FocusedPassion.com. The series is Finding Yourself in Paradise. It's studio quality. I'm sending it now over a telephone line. And so even if you're listening on the Internet, it's coming to you over a telephone line. This is a conference call setup live. That's how we take your calls. And so it's going to sound a whole lot better. CD quality, better than FM radio quality. When you receive these programs in your built-in player, or we even have a way to drop them in your podcast folder in iTunes. If you're set up for that and would like to do that, they're technically not podcasts because they're not free, but they're premium audio programs and they're pretty close to free, 99 cents, pretty inexpensive. When you subscribe at $3.96 a month, in fact, every fourth month you get a program free because there's really 52 weeks in a year, not 48 so it's even less, really, than $0.98. Cents. And the programs usually run uh, 45 minutes to an hour and include guided imagery. And you get not only me, but my best friend and business partner in this whole field, uh, Steve Snyder, who I've worked with on and off for more than three decades. Together, we have like 70 years of experience. And when we get going in conversation, we really stimulate ourselves to new ways of discussing and, and describing things. So if you like this, and apparently you do, here you are listening to the Mystery School. I think you're going to love the premium audio program at uh, focusedpassion.com. So check it out. At least get a free account over there. That will give you six free programs uh, on a built-in audio player that you can download your own computer if you'd like you can share with friends uh, we have no problem with that our programs are not copyrighted once you pay 99 cents you can send it to as many people as as you'd like we even have a little gadget on the website to help you do that or send it to your podcast folder in itunes or listen with the 
audio reader, the RSS reader in your browser. Okay, so much for FocusedPassion.com and the Finding Yourself in Paradise series. I want to get every week in the mystery school give you a little taste of what that's about because some people listen to this and not that. And that's, to me, unimaginable. Uh, okay, you're going to save $4 a month, but it's crazy. That's pocket change. What are you saving? You know? Never really understood that people will spend, you know, hundreds of dollars on their rent to buy a car that's $30,000 or more, make a big car payment, $400 a month, $500 a month, but they wince when it comes to paying a little bit to develop themselves. You know, the question is not, is this programming worth it? The question is, are you worth it? And of course, you know, of course you are. You're the most valuable, what do I want? I don't want to say thing, (laughs) object, person, entity in your life. What could be more valuable than your life? Drop your misery, you know, help yourself out. And then share these programs. That's the best part. Share these programs with your friends. All right, just checking the um, telephones to see who's on the phone. Aloha, good morning, nice to see you all here. And let me get a count on the website. Good, a bunch of new people have come in. Good morning, good afternoon, aloha. Good evening to those of you who may be in Europe. Let's get to our uh, topic du jour and talk a little bit about... uh, the Kabbalion here, and in particular, lesson number one. Let me read the five key, or I'm sorry, the six, (laughs) I'll get it, the seven key principles. I'll read the seven key principles to you here. They are number one, the principle of mentalism. All is mind. Number two, the principle of correspondence. We'll do that next week. Three, the following week, we'll talk about the principle of vibration. You know, spirit is an energy, and so it vibrates. Everything vibrates. Everything oscillates. Everything has its period. Week number four is the principle of polarity. In other words, everything that vibrates is magnetic, and it has a north pole and a south pole. It has its yin and its yang. It has its period. It's ebb and it's flow. And we'll talk to you in week four, three weeks from today, about the principle of polarity. Principle five in Hermetic philosophy, as detailed by the Kabbalion, is rhythm, the principle of rhythm. You know, time may be an illusion, but rhythm is very real. Find out what we mean in lesson five. Six will be the principle of cause and effect. You know, things don't just happen for no reason. Everything has a cause. And that cause is often an effect of something else, which if you daisy-chain your way back, you can see that cause as an effect and then see the effect as a cause and work your way back to 
what philosophers often call the prime mover. What is the first cause? What sets up cause and effect rippling out? What came first, the chicken or the egg? (laughs) In all things, right? To understand everything happens for a reason is quite profound in a world where people are playing helpless victim. And as you'll discover today, that reason is mental. It's thought or conscious awareness that directs energy in a metaphysical sense. And principle number seven in the Kabbalion is the principle of gender. Why is God referred to as the father and the material world named after the mother? Material, the world of matter, that word means mother in Latin, mater, with a single T, but it's the same word, mater, matter, it's mother earth. What is the gender? Does that mean that God is lacking in feminine qualities? Or that the material world does not have a yin and a yang, a masculine as well as a feminine? What is this great polarity of spirit and matter that we would lay gender over it in ancient times, masculine and feminine? And so we'll talk about the principle of gender. So today the principle of mentalism and in the coming weeks the principles of correspondence vibration, polarity, rhythm, cause and effect, and gender. These seven principles are the keys to understanding ancient Hermetic and Greek philosophy, esoteric philosophy anyway. So let's talk today about the principle of mentalism, this first concept, and the Kabbalion, I'm going to share just, um, I said one paragraph. So let's see, how much is it really? Two, three paragraphs, but they're short paragraphs. I'm going to read this to you. Comment as we go through it. Make a few comments at the end. The quotation from the Kabbalion, the quotable quote that has this section on mentalism, is as follows. The all is mind. The universe is mental. Now, you might think that's a joke. (laughs) Because in contemporary times, if we say somebody is mental, like it's a way of saying they're Looney Tunes, they're crazy, they're mental, they have a problem. But remember, the book is a little over 100 years old, so... Uh, It's sort of funny to say the universe is mental. By all appearances, it really is. It really can be crazy, at least on this planet. But again, I assure you they're speaking literally. And this is, again, about as fundamental as it gets in metaphysics. There is only one mind at work. This is very profound. That mind has a single heart. A metaphysician will say to you, There's only one of us here, one mind, one heart, one divine will, one love, 
And you need to think of the will or the mental aspect of divinity, volition or intention or purpose as being an energy, but not a force. Like amperage, but not voltage. It's the volume of the power, uh, the amplitude, how much energy. That's divine will. That's the mental nature on a metaphysical or spiritual plane. The love is the force or the voltage. That's the push behind it. So that the mental aspect of an idea without passion, without a force driving it, just sits there and floats around. In the little soundbite I played for you a few minutes ago from the Finding Yourself in Paradise series that Steve Snyder and I do together, Steve talks about this very thing. In fact, our site, our sister site, is called Focused Passion. The focus is the mental, the passion is the emotional. The mental part is the energy, the emotional part is the force and the drive. So, I'll bet you have ideas in your life that you don't believe in or you don't care about or you're afraid of disappointment, as Steve was saying just a few minutes ago. Imagine that, not risking for fear that you'll be disappointed. So you accept that you're not even going to try and then wonder why you're disappointed when that inaction is rooted in a fear that you might end up not getting what you've already accepted you could never have. You wonder why people are confused. And again, the real issue is not that we don't know what to do. We ask the wrong question. What do I do? We should be asking ourselves, what do I want? What do I want the most? As Steve was saying, Why do I want it? Why do I care about it? What's the force behind the energy? All of which bears upon who am I? And who you are is a loving mind. A unit of the consciousness that is the one life. You are God from a particular, unique point of view. And people... When you talk metaphysics and people say to you, who do you think you are, God? Say, a little bit, you know. I'm a unit of the one life. I'm a part of the, I am an extension of the one life. I'm conscious of being a little bit of that one life. But the problem is, when we incarnate in the form, we feel so separated so alienated in a world of forms where everything seems to be separated and by appearances two physical objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time but in fact we're spiritual beings in an ocean that is one everywhere equally present where beings can occupy the same space at the same time because you're really outside of both space and time. 
Now, if you follow that, you're doing really well. <laughs> if you didn't, that's okay, too. Today's concept, the all is mind. The universe is mental. The all meaning the one life. What the ancient Egyptians called the one thing. What people today might say, oh, you mean the one God. Yeah, but notice that religious people make God a separate entity that is here but not there, that even if they say God is everywhere, you have an image of God looking like a man and living very far away, very remote, and still separated. But if you think of the universe as ultimately springing from, radiated from, extended out of a unified ocean of mentality, the all that is, the one life, is the one mind. And that mind generates love and, of course, can extend itself into physical incarnation. So this is where we begin the principle of mentalism. Now let me read the first paragraph. This principle embodies the truth that all is mind. It explains that the all, and it's all capital letters here, which is the substantial reality underlying all the outward manifestations and appearances, which we know under the term the material universe, and the phenomena of life, or matter, or energy, and in short, all that is apparent to our material senses, is spirit, which is in itself unknowable and undefinable, but which may be considered and thought of as a universal, infinite living mind. Okay, you got that? That all spirit, although we have to admit at the top, very first paragraph, the very first chapter, that the nature of spirit is unknowable and undefinable. We have to begin to think of it in a universal, as a universal and infinite living mind, if you don't mind. <laughs> to continue. It also explains that all the phenomenal world or universe is simply a mental creation of the all. Or a religious person would say God. But again, they have an image of this man up on a cloud with like this super controller, digital Xbox kind of game controller, micromanaging the universe rather than an ocean everywhere equally present and all that exists in the physical being, if you will, in God's imagination. We are the imaginings of the one life. The book goes on. Let me back up. It also explains that all the phenomenal world or the universe is simply a mental creation of the all subject to the law of created things. 
that the universe as a whole and in its parts or units has its existence in the mind of the all or God in which mind we live, move, and have our being. Live, move, and have our being is an ancient phrase. You hear that in many rituals, Rosicrucian, Freemasonry, uh, a lot of mystical rituals have references to living and moving and having your being, not in a physical body and the, merely in a physical world, but in the ocean of spirit, in the one life, in this one thing, in the conscious awareness, the imaginings, if you will, of this one thing, the totality of all that is to the exclusion of no thing. This principle, by establishing the mental nature of the universe, easily explains all of the varied mental and psychic phenomena that occupy such a large portion of the public attention, and which, without such explanation, are non-understandable and defy scientific treatment. An understanding of this great hermetic principle of mentalism let me say as an aside, Hermetic is a reference to Hermes. Hermes, the curious Trismegistus, who's the ancient Egyptian prophet. May have been one teacher, he may have been a series of teachers or sages. The idea of Hermes became a god, if you will, in the Greek pantheon of gods. And um, is also known as Mercury in the Roman pantheon of gods, often portrayed as, well, like the FTD guy. You know, he's got the little wings on the feet and little wings on his cap, and he carries the caduceus, the scepter that represents the spine with the two snakes, the Ida and Pingala, winding their way around the caduceus, and usually a pair of wings at the top of the caduceus. Well, that's Mercury, or Hermes, in the Roman and Greek pantheons, but, you know, the, the teaching is that there really was a fellow, or maybe a bunch of teachers. Same thing with Lao Tzu. Lao Tzu, which translates the sage in Chinese philosophy, may have been one great teacher, or may have been a series of great teachers. History in both cases doesn't really record that, or we don't really know for sure. So when we talk about hermetic philosophy or hermetic principles, that's a reference to Hermes, to ancient Egyptian religion or philosophy, uh, the spirituality of the pyramid builders, the people who designed and built the pyramids. An understanding of this great hermetic principle of mentalism enables the individual to readily grasp the laws of the mental universe and to apply the same to his well-being and advancement. The hermetic principle of mentalism enables the individual to readily grasp the laws of the mental universe and apply them to his well-being and advancement. The hermetic student is enabled to apply intellectually the great mental laws instead of using them in a 
haphazard manner with the master key in his possession the student may unlock the many doors of the mental and psychic temples of knowledge and enter the same freely and intelligently so the allegory of the key unlocking the door to the temple or the library if you will and accessing this ancient wisdom from time out of mind. And the final paragraph in the section I'm going to read to you, the introduction to this first part, the first of seven principles. And we'll do, as I said before, one per week. This principle explains the true nature of energy, power, and matter, and why and how all of these subordinates for the mystery of mind, uh, the why and how all these are subordinates to the mastery of mind. One of the old Hermetic masters wrote long ago, he who grasps the truth of the mental nature of the universe is well advanced on the path to mastery. And these words are as true today as at the time they were first written. Without this master key, mastery is impossible, and the student knocks in vain at the door of the temple. Remember, Christ is quoted as having said, Knock, and the door shall be opened. Well, is there any secret? Ever knock and nobody opens the door like nobody's home, or they're in there, but they're not going to let you in? You have to care. You have to have love in your heart. You know, black magic never works. Or it doesn't work for long because the karma is so bad. You can't really get above the astral plane. You can muck things up by using spiritual laws for personal egoic gain. But if you're not working for the greater good of humanity and all life, not just humanity, but the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom and the mineral kingdom and the divine will of the universe to grow and expand, to evolve in a loving, conscious fashion, these principles don't work very well. And that's the difference between so-called white magic and black magic. There really is no gray magic. <laughs> it's, it's an example of anything that's not done for the greater good is obviously not white magic. Um, you got to get this straight. It's like, well... I didn't want to hurt anybody. I just cared about myself without regard to other people. Sorry, that's not enough. That's enough in the society in which we live to have a quality of self-interest that ignores the greater good, that ignores the community interest or global interest. That's fine with most people in your neighborhood most people in our country, most people in the world. Mind your own business, right? 
but not for somebody that's spiritually oriented or inclined. You have to take every action for the greater good of all concerned. Now, that's not a sacrifice. You are part of the greater good of all concerned. So instead of you or me, it becomes you and me. And that loving intention, that inclusive intention, is all that's necessary for these principles to work without comic retribution. You have to care about everybody involved and dedicate yourself. If you really want your life to work, you have to go beyond self-interest. Or maybe better said, recognize that your self-interest includes community interest and the greater good of all life, the one life. When the great American transcendentalist Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote his classic book on self-reliance, he didn't mean the kind of self-interest that is discussed today. He was talking about a self that could be capitalized, a higher self, a spiritual self, a whole sense of self, where your self-interest could not possibly exclude the greater good or the interest of the community, your neighbors, your your extended family. You know, love your neighbor as thyself. How far down the block do you have to go before someone is not your neighbor? Or Is it across state lines, or is it into another country, or is it only people that believe what you believe, or go to your church, or members of your political party, or your lodge, or is it everything that lives and moves and has its being? And of course, it's all life. The one life is all life. And we exist within that oneness, that field, if you will, of consciousness. That's where we live and move and have our being. There is no separated self. Your sense of self is a point of view. You are a unit of consciousness that ultimately, as a spiritual being, cannot be separated from the one life. You are that one mind And the magnetic part of it, the force behind the energy of mentalism, is the love. That's that's where the real magic is. But love is a product of mind. You, You have to have an intention to love. I was talking to a friend the other day about falling in love, and I said, that was nice. I remember falling in love. Did that a couple of times. Or what's the eagle's song, A Victim of Love. Cupid shot you with the arrow, and you were imbued against your will. (laughs) With love, it was done to you. You were a victim of love. You fell in love. And that's what people want. But beyond the emotions of love, there is capital L love. There is love as conscious awareness as a state of mind, 
as an expanded, unified view of the one life, of the all that is. Love is that consciousness. Love is peace. You know, there is no way to love. Love is the way. Just as we used to say in the anti-war movement, I guess we still do, since war is now perpetual and global, there is no way to peace. Peace is the way. You don't find your way to peace. You don't find your way to love. Peace and love is the path. It is the road. And it's an exercise of mental will that requires you to develop love, to grow it, to expand it, not to be a victim of it. Gee, I hope I fall in love. I hope somebody cares for me. That kind of love, as I'm sure you've noticed, doesn't last. It has an ebb and a flow. Love requires work, forgiveness, and understanding, and acceptance. It's often confusing. It often hurts horribly. Oh, we don't want that part of love. I don't want the broken heart that goes with love. I don't want the loss and the grief in the morning. I just want the warm, fuzzy part of love. Yeah, of course. It doesn't work that way. I, I just want a, an electromagnetic field with one pole. I don't want the other pole. I just want the yin. I don't want the yang. The yin, not the yang. <laughs> I want the north pole of the magnet, but not the south pole. I want all the good stuff, but don't give me any of the shadow. Sorry. I want the full moon. I never want the dark of the moon. I just want summer. I never want winter. Really? Okay. Life breathes. It has an in-breath and an out-breath. Everything has its season. All things are cyclic. And yet, Everything that exists is an expression of one thing in many forms. How does the one become the many? How does something that is whole and unified and absolutely inclusive become relative and apparently separated and unique and diverse in all of these distinct forms, the one and the many, spirit and matter? father and mother, the polarities. We're going to talk about that in coming weeks as we study the Kabbalion. And the answer is love in the heart. The love is the primary product, the first emanation of the mind, of the mind of the all, the one thing, and hopefully your mind, if you want your life to work. Put your mind on love, on harmony toward unity, accepting all things, loving even your enemies. And what are the qualities of love? Well, kindness. How about we just start with kindness and forgiveness and compassion and generosity and tolerance and patience? And then mix in a little bit of humor 
<laughs> and some gentleness and, and peace. And how about a little pinch of beauty? You see, love has many qualities. The idea that you're not a victim of love, that it doesn't happen to you, that you create it, you manifest it. Not only do you already have the love you're looking for, if you would but identify it and develop it, you are the love you're looking for in all of this comes from the intention paying attention to your intention be that mind that mental nature that is a unit of the one mind there's only one of us here the one thing the one mind that makes the idea of communion or union or yoga or your aspirational nature to go home in perspective. Remember, the kingdom is not out there someplace. The kingdom is within, in the center, in the heart. And in the heart is the soul, the sanctum sanctorum. In the center of you is your emotional love. In the center of your emotional love is your spiritual love. And that's the magnetic force that unifies all things, even when they do appear to be separate. Now, in the coming weeks, as we study the Kabbalion over this seven-week period, you're going to use to learn to use this mind to adjust for negativity, to cancel out the appearance of negatives in your life, to redeem and uplift problems, to heal not only your physical body and contribute to the healing of others, but your emotional self. And to think in terms of problem solving in a similar way, not to kill your problems, but to redeem them, to save them, to lift the frequency. We live in a world of spirit, in spite of appearances, a world that is electromagnetic, and it has frequency and period, if it vibrates and oscillates, if it has polarity and gender, then we can learn to use this first principle of mind to adjust the frequency, to lift the vibration. How does one change lead into gold? How would... Christ changed water to wine. You know, you don't kill the lead, you don't kill the water, you redeem it, you uplift it, you save it. And now you have a sense of, well, if we can transmute lead to gold, that's an allegory, or water to wine, which is also an allegory, we're not really interested in the wine or the gold, but the transmutation, the redemption, the uplifting, it's not just saving your soul. It's redeeming every problem, every heartache, yours and others, with the incredibly magical power of love, the first and primary product, if you will, or emanation 
of the divine mind. That's available to you. Just as our free will is an emanation of divine will, your ability to love, not only emotionally, but more importantly as consciousness, has been given to you. Use it. Use it for the greater good of all concerned. Because if you use it only for the separated self, without regard, if you knock on the door of the temple and it doesn't open, it's because your intention is only for the separated self. That's not good enough. Even if you don't want to hurt anybody or steal their stuff, (laughs) it's still not good enough. The next week we'll talk about the principle of correspondence, the second rubric of the Emerald Tablet of Hermes, the law of correspondence as above, so below, and as it is below, so it is above, the principle of correspondence. And, of course, corollary, as above, so below, as within, so without. Right? Your world out there, the world that you think is happening to you, is actually an emanation of what's in your mind and what's in your heart. You don't change the world to enjoy a benefit. You change yourself so as to change the world. You just got to get the pony in front of the cart here. All right? I know a lot of these concepts sound familiar to you. The idea is to learn them pat so that you can recognize these key principles in all of the mystery traditions that attract you, whether it's Christian mysticism, Rosicrucianism, Kabbalah and Zohar, Jewish mysticism, Sufism from Islam, Buddhism, Taoism, magical traditions of Hinduism and Brahmanism, Shamanism, Paganism, Wiccan, pagan beliefs, all of these that are based on love and doing whatever you can to benefit the one life. They're all part of one great teaching, the ageless wisdom. All right, if you have a question and you're on the phone, press star 2 and... uh, I'll come back and take a look at that. I don't see any hands raised right now. And so we'll go to the question and answer by text and see who's there to say hello. Bill Jaffe in Canoga Park, California says, Greetings, Michael. Uh, He says, I'm here with my little click of Three female Facebook friends, all big fans of the Mystery School. And uh, he says, have you sent out those mindfulness retreat brochures? I'm not sure. I mean, we we did a mindfulness retreat in February here in Maui. We planned to do another Maui mindfulness retreat. In fact, just this past week, Steve and I were talking about changing the venue the location of the retreat. And we're looking at a couple of options. So, no, we're not ready to um, send out any brochures or or um, take uh, deposits, 
but we expect it'll be in October, and um, we'll let you know. It's, boy, to come to Maui for a six-day mindfulness intensive, uh, that's life-changing. It certainly was for the people that, that came in February, and we limit it to 10 people, no more than 10 people. So you can come alone, you can come as a couple, you can come as a tribe or a gang. I don't care. <laughs> but we give real meaning to finding your self, your true self, in paradise. Not only here in Maui, but the kingdom within, the paradise within you. Carl Postel is with us in La Habra, California. She says, Aloha. Michael and Doreen. Hello, Carol. Nice to hear from you. I'm hearing from my wife down the hall. And she says, great show. Love the Kabbalion. All hail Paul Foster case. True and Invisible Rosicrucian Order is one of my wife Doreen's favorite books written by Paul Foster case. I must say it is a remarkable, absolutely. If I only had ten books, in fact, if I only had five, that would probably be on my, one of them. That would be on my shelf. The True and Invisible Rosicrucian Order. Doreen says, after all these years, still her favorite book. Greg Simonian is with us from Las Vegas. Hello, Greg. Nice to hear from you. He said, this is the second week I've been able to listen to the live webinar. Always a pleasure. Finally able to get to visit the Lake Shrine in Pacific Palisades. Very strong energy, I recommend it. Yeah, about um, four or five years ago, they did a big uh, rehab job on the SRF Lake Shrine out there at the foot of Sunset and Pacific Coast Highway. And um, Greg says that's Pacific Palisades. I always think of it as Santa Monica, but I think he's right. I think it's really the Palisades, but that's Yogananda. You know, you've read Autobiography of a Yogi, I'm sure, Paramahansa Yogananda's autobiography. And he founded the Self-Realization Fellowship based largely on Hindu mysticism. Very rich, very beautiful, beautiful tradition. Self-realization. Is that not what we're talking about? And this shrine beautiful little lake in the grounds, the swans, and around the lake are little shrines or tributes to all the great religions, all the major religions of the world. Very nice place if you're in Los Angeles. Check it out. It's right at the foot of sunset, just above uh, Pacific Coast Highway. Can't miss it there. Been there many times. In Albuquerque, New Mexico, Donna is with us. She said, delighted with the new format. She likes this idea of digging in, going deeper. Reminds me of the many class, M-A-N-Y, the many class I took at Science of Mind. Paid big bucks for that class. And yours are free. You may want to charge something just because. I really do appreciate you and look forward to each week to the wisdom you have to share. Thank you. Funny you should mention that, Donna. <laughs> can't believe that you picked up on that. You are so tuned in, girl. 
um, we are going to begin to charge for this program. Um, I was going to explain this next week or the week after, but I might as well speak about it now. First of all, as I mentioned earlier today, the archives of 160 past classes will always be free and always remain posted and available to listen streaming, to download, to give to your friends. That library is always there. The articles, the text articles on my website, the wisdom nuggets, dozens of them, will always be free and always be there. We have more free articles and white papers on our Focus Passion sister site. That will always be free. Those will always be there. The newsletter will always be free. The podcast will continue to be free. But what we're going to do after we finish the Kabbalion in another six weeks, there's seven parts, obviously, to this, is we're going to have a free mystery school that's going to last 30 minutes at 1 o'clock Pacific, just like we always have, 4 o'clock Eastern. And it'll run just short of half an hour. And that'll always be free, and that'll always be podcast. But it's going to be short. Then, starting at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern, those who are subscribers to the Mystery School training will log back in with a password at 1.30 for the training, which is going to be like what we're doing here. And the price structure for that is going to be on the order of, I may change this, but basically individual programs, which would be the most expensive way to subscribe to the Wisdom School training, is $6.95. Not a lot of money. If you subscribe for a term, which is 13 weeks, it'll be $59.95. That's a pretty deep discount if you do the math. That takes the price down to a little over $4.50 a program. And that's for 13 weeks, $59.95. And then if you pay for four terms, four 13-week terms, a full year, 52 weeks, 52 programs, it's only $3.27 a program, $169.95 for the year. The $169.95 for a year, $59.95 for any 13-week period, and individual programs will be $6.95. And you'll get a password. When you first sign up, you'll get a password. And if you sign up for more than a single week, if you buy the term or the year, you'll get a password mailed to you, email, every week, just before the event that you use to log back in at 1.30. And uh, you'll be able to call the program, call the class on the telephone, as well as use the text message. And yet we'll still have the Mystery School free at 1 o'clock for everybody. So that's what's coming up. And I'm um, mentioning it now only because you're so psychic. <laughs> you totally tuned in. I'm still that. I'm sure that's still a fraction of what you paid for the science mind class. But I'm trying to take away everybody's excuses. 
you know, say, I can't afford it. Well, of course you can. And of course you can. And yet we'll always have some free stuff for you. So thanks, Donna. Too cool the way you picked up on that. Greg Diskowski is with us from Ohio. He says, hello, Michael. Hope you're well. Yes, thank you. Quick question. What is the distinction of the soul versus the spirit? Or are they one and the same? Great topic. Never read. Not familiar with this Kabbalion. Thank you. In regards, Greg Duskowski at Avon Lake. That's a wonderful question. I often hear it. I'm glad you asked it. The difference between soul and spirit, are they one? Well, all things are one. Of course, uh, they're one in a sense, but not one and the same. There is a distinction in that uh, spirit is the source it's the totality of all energy. The soul is the first level of self. The soul is a non-physical or spiritual point of view within the ocean of the one life as spirit. Okay? So, uh, I don't know. If... Uh, if I say if I say spirit is the ocean, then um, the soul is a bucket of water. <laughs> this stuff obviously is not easy. The soul then extends itself. Here's the Trinity into incarnation. So spirit would be the entire all that is, the all. The soul is above and free of physical form. It shares, as Plato said, the soul shares the ground of God. It's a spiritual entity, a spiritual thing. And then you could say a unit of consciousness. The soul is a unit of the one life. But it exists, quote, in heaven. This is a great heresy from the church's point of view, to inform you that your soul is already in heaven. It was born there at the beginning of time. It's the only place it could be. And we are an extension, a projection, or a manifestation of the soul that then incarnates, extends itself into physical form. And the conundrum is, at this point, the ego takes over with this fear that we're separated like all forms, we discussed this earlier today, two physical objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time. The best we can do is hug each other, you know, hold hands, make love, kiss. Uh, you know that feeling, that wonderful feeling of love, that merging. That's what we all want, right, is that merging, to just hug you so close that we become one. Well, that's from your memory. Little children have that. There's a great story that goes around in metaphysical circles, supposedly true, but I don't know who gets credit for the story, about a little three-year-old or four-year-old girl that goes tiptoeing into the baby's room one night, doesn't realize that mom is in the hallway listening 
overhearing the little girl whispering to her baby brother, Billy, Billy, it's me, Sally, your big sister. Billy, tell me what heaven's like. I'm beginning to forget. Sweet, beautiful, but heretical. That's heresy. To talk about the what the church calls the pre-existence of the soul. I mean, there are founders of the Catholic or Christian church, like Origen, who are very clear about the pre-existence of the soul. Of course the soul exists before you're incarnated. Well, even though Origen was one of the founding fathers of the church in the second century, he was tried posthumously for heresy, for teaching such a thing. Because in order to establish political power, the church had to corrupt the doctrine and teach that the soul was made by God upon physical conception and dwells within. Well, there is an indwelling soul, but there's also an overshadowing soul that is above you and already in heaven, and you can access it now. You don't have to wait till you die to go to heaven. Part of you is already there as the soul. And then the father aspect above that corresponds to spirit, the source of all things. So I hope that helps a little bit, the distinction between the spirit and the soul. It's a very important distinction, frankly. So thank you, Greg. And uh, I'm going to hit the refresh button, see if we got anybody else here. Uh, let's see. Bert in Honolulu. Hello, Bert. Says, Greetings. Thank you for today's talk. Keep up the good work and aloha. Thank you, Bert. Always good to hear from you. And uh, let's see. Greg comes back and uh, makes a comment about wanting to call, but he wasn't able to call today. It's always intimidating. You probably think there's thousands of people on the line. There's thousands of people that listen to the podcast. There, there are not that many. Uh, it's not that scary to call me. Just think of ringing me up on the phone. And if you want to listen by phone or lurk, as they say, you can always do that. Press star 2, that'll flag me, and I can bring you on. You can ask your question and then pull right back into the woodwork. Nobody will even know. All right, um, so checking the phones, I don't see any hands up. Thank you for being here live, though. And that seems to be the extent of people, let me hit refresh, commenting on the uh, on the web. I hope you do like the new format, the idea of spending multiple weeks, two, three, four, six, eight, ten weeks on a single concept maybe a particular book, as we're doing now, really drilling down, okay? And uh, again, if you have any questions about the format changes, it's going to be another six weeks before we finish the Kabbalion. And if you just keep watching the newsletter, we're going to 
explain it, we'll repeat it. Um, remember, home base for all of this is my website, theagelesswisdom.com. On the splash page is a button that says enter, that'll take you inside. And then on the left, frame set are all the links to navigate around. It's a very easy website to learn, to find your way around. Webinars is what we call these. And uh, that's where you'll go to, to sign up for the training. So we'll always have the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School at 1 o'clock Pacific on Sundays. That'll continue to be podcast. But you'll be able to log back in with a password for the Wisdom School training at 1.30. And uh, that'll be like an hour and a half, maybe two hours beginning at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern, for those who have enrolled, all right, with the password. All right, let's do a little uh, guided imagery or visualization exercise here. If you close your eyes and relax, just a quick one, all right. A couple of head rolls and some shoulder shrugs. Take a few deep breaths and close your eyes. Sit comfortably, get aligned. Shoulders back. You, don't, you do not want to be rigid. You're not a two-by-four. You think of yourself as being balanced. I know I repeat myself on this, but it's very important, and I never know how many new people are listening. So you're balanced, head above your neck and shoulders, above your spine, Feel, go with the feeling of balance all the way down through the center of your being. A couple of more slow, deep breaths, inhaling through the nose. And as you exhale, uh, create and sense a letting go feeling. Beyond where you'd normally stop exhaling, all the way out. Ah. And after a few of those, visualize in your mind's eye a beautiful place, a garden, a wilderness, a paradise, a place of perfect peace with birds singing and gentle breezes in the treetops. Allow my voice to guide you, but listen to the birds, hear the wind. Smell the fragrances of nature in this beautiful place. And simply ponder the idea that you are a part of one thing. That just as the air you breathe, a breath at a time, is part of an ocean of air. You are part of one thing. And that everything is in the one. And the one is in everything. And that all is mind. It is the mind that directs consciousness. It is the mind, the consciousness that directs thought and the mental nature 
that directs energy. Energy follows thought. Put your attention on love and kindness and peace. Put your attention on wisdom and harmony and truth. Place your attention on beauty and unity and wholeness. And breathe. Take another breath from the one life into the one life. And as you exhale, breathe into the one life. Your will is a unit of divine will. Your heart, your love, is of divine mind and part of the one love. And the one life and the one thing at work in all things to the exclusion of no thing, breathe light into the darkness. And bring that with you gently back into the room as you inhale. And now exhale. And open your eyes wide awake and alert back in the room, feeling fine, even better than before. The one thing that occurs to me to mention is that when you subscribe in a few weeks to the Mystery School, you'll also get a free, well included, as a subscription to the premium audio at FocusedPassion.com. Set yourself up with a free account right now. Go over to Focused Passion. There's an ED in there. The W's.FocusedPassion.com. Click on the big button that says Free Sample Programs. And just leave your name and email address. You'll get an account, a web page you can log into with a password and your email address, a built-in audio player with six sample programs, yours forever. And then once you either upgrade your subscription or, in a few weeks, enroll in the Mystery School, programs will start to be added. In addition to the Mystery School programs, the training You'll also get these premium audio programs in these themes. FocusedPassion.com and TheAgelessWisdom.com As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. Thanks a lot for being here. This is Michael Benner. Aloha. Aloha.